Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We've been working through a series uh, called The Prison Letters. If you're a visitor here at Anchor Church, we love to work through the Bible, go through the different books and see what God would say to us through the different books of the Bible. And we've been looking at the prison letters of Paul, the prison letters that Paul wrote uh, to churches, to young believers, to a friend, as he was explaining to them who they are in Christ. And we're starting off in the book of Ephesians. We've done several chapters in Ephesians already. Uh, we're here halfway through Ephesians chapter 3. And so I wanted to look at something here. Uh, I think that, I, you know, what's so great about Ephesians is that Paul is really summarizing in a, in, in a great way, uh, really succinctly, what the message of the gospel is and also who we are in light of Christ. He so drills down on identity and on your belief around who you are because believing precedes doing, right? You become before you behave. It's something that you, if you're going to live authentically, you can't always be trying to be something that you're not. Right, you can see when people are try hard. Have you seen somebody that uh, that has tried hard to fit into a certain picture or mold, and it just wasn't quite them? I remember when I was younger, I ha I was friends with a bunch of, of of band guys and musicians. I managed a band for a little while, and you know, they, in, in those years, kind of the uh, early two thousands, uh, the grunge punk vibe was really in. The jeans were. I mean, I've got, my jeans are fairly skinny, but not that skinny, right? That, you're talking stovepipe circulation cut off, um, you know, people falling down because their legs have turned to jelly with no blood supply, you know, all those kinds of things. And uh, just like real grunge look. And I tried hard to pull it off. But if I look at photos, the one thought that comes to my mind is try hard, right? He's a, he, he I just isn't me. I just couldn't fit into that mold. And sometimes even as believers, we try and fit into a mold that, that we haven't, it's something that we haven't become, right? And there's nothing wrong with pursuing the things that God calls us to, but we are asking God and hoping in God for something greater than giving us the strength to try harder. I didn't come here this morning to tell you to try harder. I came here this morning to tell you about the supply of heaven, of the riches that are available to you in Christ, so that you may become what you long to be. That's my prayer. Not God, help me to be faithful. God, make me faithful. Make, me, make faithfulness just a natural characteristic that comes out of me whenever I need to be faithful. Let it be who I am. And this is the glory of God that he doesn't just ask us to do things, but he transforms us into his image. And so as believers, I believe we miss this. And uh, we're constantly living in, in a kind of spiritual poverty, trying to be something that we're not. And it's why unbelievers look at us and say, well, this is fake. This is inauthentic. These guys don't really believe it. The moment the pressure's on, their faith is gone. Or that whatever they're proclaiming seems to hold no water, has no value. And this is not the kind of life that God has called us to lead. He, if we will trust in Him, is actually on a journey of transforming every single person in this place to be exactly what He called us to be. Saints, kings, priests to our God. A royal nation separated to be used by the King 
to His glory. This is who you are this morning. Above any other social construct that you may feel that you are, this morning you are a child of God. You're adopted by Him. You're a member of the family, and He is doing great things in you. And this is really what Paul is trying to get the, this young church to understand. Since it's Palm Sunday today, I wanted to, before I go to Ephesians 3, um, just look at the verse that describes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem one week before the death, his death on the cross. When Jesus showed up, just as God promised that he would, Jesus showed up, and, and I feel like this is the most powerful thing. When God says he's going to show up, he's going to show up. We see in Matthew 21 verse 8, how the arrival of Jesus caused the, the crowds to spread out their cloaks and palm leaves on the, on the ground. It says most of the crowds, in verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We see that as the, Jesus was riding in on this, on this humble donkey, riding into Jerusalem, and, and people were hailing him as king, as the Messiah. That's what it represented. They laid down their own cloaks and cut branches and, and made a royal entrance for Jesus. Jesus, however, is not picking up on the splendor of this world. He doesn't come in with a caravan with, with riches and with, you know, the, the way that royalty would have arrived, you know, with, with all kinds of pomp and ceremony. No, he just comes as Jesus because the glory that he brings is not an earthly glory. It has some earthly impact. It causes some surrender in our lives. People take off their own cloaks and lay them down at the sight of this Jesus. That's that disarming factor about Jesus and his love that I was speaking about earlier today. He comes in, he comes in and, and as he comes in, he's bringing a different kind of victory. He's a different kind of king. He's not just here to sort out a few earthly matters or some political issues or some social justice uh, concerns. No, Jesus is here to bring an end to death and sin. He is answering the greatest need not just the other needs. Although we know that God meets our needs, our greatest need was the need for salvation, for hope. And this is what Jesus brings. And as he comes in, the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the religious people, always the religious folk, are livid. And they tell Jesus, tell your disciples to keep quiet. Tell them to not say this. They don't like this proclamation. They don't like the idea of Jesus showing up, being hailed as king. And so in Luke 19, verse 40, after the Pharisees said to Jesus, keep your disciples quiet, he says this, it says, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, this is a moment that all of creation has awaited. All of creation longs for this revelation, the revelation of the Son of God and His children, the sons and daughters of God. Creation moans to be further clothed in the glory of God, to be set right 
for the enemies of God to be dealt with. And here comes Jesus to land the final blow, the end of death, the end of sin. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the religious people said, no, don't say that. Jesus says, you don't understand the gravity of this moment. If these guys didn't shout out, the very, shout out, the very stones on the, in the ground would begin to cry out in worship. This is a deep moment. This is a powerful moment of what Jesus was doing to empower those to, who believe to operate in victory. He brings that victory, not a victory of this world, not of earthly splendor, but deep and powerful. And so what we're really talking about, and as we transition into Ephesians 3, what we're really talking about is true spiritual power. Power has the ability to affect change. And not just temporal change, but long-lasting, eternal, permanent change. And so if you are claiming to be a Christian and to have faith in Jesus, but there's no change in your life, then you need to look at whether or not you truly are surrendering yourself to Jesus. Because some things are going to look different. And so Paul actually says to the church in Corinth that I'm not going to show up and, and, and use clever words. An eloquent speech, even though he was, he was learned, he could have done it. He was a great orator before. But he says, I'm going to put all of that aside because what I want you to know is not just a clever argument, but the power of God to transform your life. Do you know the power of God available to you, not something you have to earn or work for, but that is available to you through grace to transform your life? It made me realize how little we as believers tap into the supply of Christ in our lives, how little we actually believe in it. We run around looking for crumbs of power. Or maybe if I can just get that promotion, I'll have some power. Maybe if I can gather some wealth, I'll have a bit of ability. Maybe if I could afford to go and see a life coach, then I could actually begin to shape my life going forward. But until then, I'm just running around looking for, for scraps of power, for morsels of power, morsels of supply. When Jesus said that to him who believes from within him shall come forth Waters of life, streams, rivers of life. There is an eternal wellspring in the spirit inside of your spirit to supply every single need that you may have. God's spirit resides in us. And the greatest plan of the enemy is to do exactly what the Pharisees did. They were demonically inspired in that moment to say, tell the people to be quiet. We don't want them to know the victory that they will have in this man. And the enemy is still hushing the people of God, saying, you just sing in your churches. You just sing between these four walls. But do not go out there and declare the victory of Jesus, because I'm hoping that those people to whom God has made his grace available will never find out. It's our job to cry Hosanna in the highest. Make way for the king. Jesus has arrived. That's our jobs. 
The enemy just wants to keep us from realizing that we have won, that we have the victory so that we won't claim the prize. I happened upon an article this week um, of individuals. It's kind of a sad article, but it was an, an article about individuals that had won the lottery and never checked their cards or turned in, claimed their prize. And I wanted to know, like, what is the biggest lottery ticket that has never been claimed? And so this article was describing some of them. In June 2011, in the state of Georgia in the USA, somebody had the winning ticket for 77 million US dollars. A single ticket and never claimed it. 77 million US dollars. For us South Africans, that's just over 1.1 billion rand. And a piece of paper like that, just go to the office, turn it in, give me my billion, thank you. Life changed. They never claimed it. In June 2012, an individual in Stevenage in the, U in the UK was the rightful winner of 63.8 million pounds which is around 1.3 billion rand, and never turned in the ticket. Even here in South Africa, someone in Cape Town played the Powerball Lotto and won 141 million rand, one single person, and never claimed the prize. Think about how much this morning, I mean, we're talking about the supply of Jesus, and you're like, yeah, that's good, but imagine what your reaction would be if I said, guys, I have a billion rand on stage here. First person to get to stage gets it. I mean, we would be carrying out bodies after the service, right? Legitimately. Because deep down, we still believe that a billion rand will change our lives more than the eternal supply of Christ. We, we really have a hard time not believing in money. If you think a billion rand is going to change your life, it is nothing compared to the supply of heaven according to the riches of the glory of God that is in Christ, how he supplies every one of our needs. Now, what I love about God, I thought about this scripture this week, it says that he brings wealth and adds no sorrow to it. Oftentimes, the things that we long for come with sorrow come with pain, come with us realizing too late that they weren't what we thought they were going to be. They weren't going to produce what we thought they were going to produce. It comes, but it comes with sorrow. Sometimes people achieve their dreams only to wish that they hadn't. But in Christ, he adds no sorrow to anything we receive from him. I want to submit to you today that no amount of money has the potential to change your life the way the victory of Jesus released to the believer, to you and to I, can. It's absolute fact. The victory of Jesus is your victory. His finished work on the cross, what he did on the cross, released you from sin, empowered you for impact, released unimaginable power to you, the believer, and has caused us to know a love that's deeper than anything that we can imagine. Ultimately, the deepest longings of our heart, the cry of our soul. That's why David writes and he says, my soul longs after you. Those deepest desires and needs have been fulfilled in Jesus, satisfied in him. 
And yet we, many of us do not step up to claim what is ours in Christ. We leave the benefits of the cross unclaimed. And you know, some people do it in the name of piety. Like God has, has called you to be free, to live a great life, to pursue things. And then you're like, no, I'm going to honor God by being meek and just sitting over here in the corner because I don't want to be pre presumptuous, you know. I'm going I'm to honor God with my smallness. That's not honoring God. That's dishonoring God. You were given a call. We read last week that you were given boldness and access to the Father so that you can impact this world, so that you can pursue the things that God has put in your heart. You are not serving God by playing small. We don't make small plans. We live with great faith because that's how we honor what God has given us. A lot of Christians live like paupers rather than princes, like beggars looking for bread rather than rulers ordained to reign. And this is exactly the enemy's plan to get you to live a small life that is inconsequential, perhaps comfortable, but inconsequential. He doesn't want people to know who Jesus is. So I want to talk to you about claiming the prize in Jesus. And I want to go to Ephesians 3 for the time that we have left. This is where we finished off last time. We read Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. And we spoke about how God, through His incredible plan that He has woven together through the ages, has now in the church revealed His manifold wisdom. That's like wisdom upon wisdom upon wisdom. It's when you have one room and you bring all the different peoples, how God wove the whole story and the narrative of redemption together so that every single tribe, every single tongue, every single creed, every single nation, every single socioeconomic, group can stand together in one room and say, we have one father. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's not just for the Old Testament. God made his manifest, manifest or manifold wisdom known through this beautiful story about how Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, would invite every person and people group on planet earth to be a part of this great salvation. And so now, the, the, the princes, principalities and rulers and, and, and the spiritual authorities, even the demonic ones go, we had no idea how God was going to do this, how he was going to save all people. They're just doing damage control, trying to make sure as many people as possible would not realize what Jesus has done for them. But they've already lost. They've already lost. And so this is the ultimate plan of God, the manifold wisdom of, of God that is made manifest um, through the church. And then Paul goes back to doing what he did in the first chapter of Ephesians, where he speaks for about 13 verses. And in the verse 14, he's like, for this reason, I'm praying for you. You see, he wants us to have a spiritual knowledge. He wants us to, to know some stuff. And he does that in Ephesians 1.14. And then when it comes to Ephesians 3.14, it's like, hey, we haven't prayed enough. So he's like, I want everybody to know who they are in Christ. I want them to know the victory. I want them to know what God has for them. You know what? I'm just going to pray for you again. And so he goes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He just starts praying one more time for the church. And this is really because this revelation is something like what Jesus said to Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And when I get up here and I share, or Pastor Will, or Pastor Brent, or anybody shares, you know, we're not just sharing with the hope that you would hear our argument and believe a little bit or agree. No, we're sharing with the hope that our words would be infused as we, as we speak from the Word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit to unveil and unlock in your spirit, in the inner man, the inner woman, the truth of God's love and salvation for your life, who you are, your identity in Him. And so he begins praying for the church. And he says that we can do this. We have this great inheritance. We can go with boldness before the Father. Our faith secures that inheritance that is ours in Christ. And he goes on then to express what flows out of that recognition of what God has done for us. There's a recognition. There's a surrendering. There's a laying down of your cloak. A surrender to Jesus. This is what comes from it. Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19. And this is where I want to focus this morning and where I want to just break a few things down. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So he's praying that God would grant his prayer that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in, our, in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, how all-encompassing and to know the love of Christ, how all-encompassing that love is. That surpasses knowledge. It's something you can't even figure out with your mind. That you truly may be filled with the fullness of God. You cannot be filled with the fullness of God until you have a revelation of His love for you. And Paul is praying, God, give them the spiritual strength to be able to perceive something they can't perceive in the natural. How big God's love is. How all-encompassing his love for you is. How high it goes, how wide it goes, how long it endures, and how deep it truly is. Oh God, give us that revelation. It will change your life. I want to break this down real quick as I share this message on the riches of His glory. And I'm going to ask Pastor Brent just to bring up, uh, I wrote out this scripture this morning. Um, soon I'll, I'll get one of those screens that you can just write on like they do when they're doing sports analysis. If you think I love this drawing board, you must wait until I get one of those. It's going to be like every Sunday. Every Sunday I'm going to use it. But yeah, you can just put it here for me. Thanks, Steve. Perfect. Hopefully you can see that this morning. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. And we're talking about the riches of glory. The riches of glory. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. What I want to look at here is what Paul is, is really saying. And, and, you know, as Paul writes, he often um, says things in a certain way that he's repeated before. And many times it just becomes Christian jargon to us. Like you're like, okay, according to the riches of his glory, grant strength and spirit in the inner man. It's like it just all sounds like church talk, right? And we don't really break it down enough to know what Paul is genuinely saying. So what I want to focus on here is what are the 
the riches of his glory. Because what Paul is saying is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant. According to, in proportion with, the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and then everything from there, all the way down to there, is prayer request. That's all prayer request. So, according to Paul, the first clue that we have here, in terms of what the riches of God's glory is going to do in your life, is that first and foremost, it is going to cause you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. The first thing that it's going to do is not just meet every physical need that you have, which is so often the, the surface level or the shallow level of, of depth that we ask of God. Now, there's nothing wrong. The Bible says, no matter what you need, ask God. Don't be anxious for anything, but in all things, make your requests known. So there's nothing wrong. But... I want to submit to you today that that is just surface level. Th those are the things that the heathens asked for. Even atheists every now and again will silently in their room go, God, if there's a God up there, can you help me get this job? Like they don't even know if he exists, but they're like, but if he does, maybe he can help. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to help you in your career, asking God to help you provide for your family, asking God to help heal you. Those are good things to ask for, but even heathens ask for them. They're simply natural needs. What Paul says is that the riches of glory, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to change the very substance of who you are as a person. The very core of your being is going to be strengthened with power, not a humanly power, but through the spirit in the inner being. You're going to look different. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you're going to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why we always say here at Anchor, we're not religious. It's not about coming and, 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 and adopting the posture of, of religion. Just going through the motions, just bending our bodies into the forms of worship. No, that's not what we're here for. We're here to really encounter the Spirit of God, to be transformed so that you may truly know Christ. Strengthened with power in your inner being. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, in the love that God has for you. He wants you to know that love because what it's going to produce is the strength to comprehend the all-encompassing power of God at work in your life. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness, all the fullness of God. And so the first thing that we can do when wanting to understand what are the riches of his glory is to see what the riches of his glory produces. And it produces a life that looks different. You know, when you live a transformed life, it gives God glory. It comes from his glory and his grace and it gives him glory. It brings him glory. In other words, it's a testimony. 
To give glory means to declare the characteristics of the nature of God. And when I live in a way that is contrary to what I would have lived if I didn't know Jesus, I'm telling people this is the power of God. If he can transform me, he can transform you. It's the message of Easter. So God grants this prayer according to the riches of his glory. I want to look at a few scriptures This is so deep. It's so much deeper than just our earthly needs. It's literally the foundations of our lives. That's why the stones will cry out. But in a few more scriptures, Paul says the same thing. I'm going to run through these real quick. In Colossians 1 verse 27, we find the same phrase. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, which is, what are the riches? It's Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's going to do something in you that's going to reveal his glory. Ephesians 1.18, which we covered earlier on in the series, says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And so what we see there is that, that there is a hope to which you've been called, And like Bob Goff said, hope isn't all the things we're wishing for. It's all the things God is causing us to become. What are the riches of his glory of his inheritance? So there's an inheritance that we have. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God. So do you see those first two verses are really primarily focused on who we're becoming? So then can we trust God's glory and the riches of his glory to supply our needs, our earthly needs? Well, Philippians 4.19 says that. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. So the deep needs of our hearts and the physical needs of our lives. Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here we find God's glory and God's grace connected. His glory is in His grace. His grace reveals His glory. God's grace to us of everything that we need. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, every single blessing that heaven has to give is yours. Man, we've got to turn in our lotto tickets. We literally have the victory. Every need God has supplied through Jesus. Everything that heaven can give, it has been given to us through the supply of God's grace in our lives. And yes, this is primarily spiritual, but spiritual doesn't exclude material. In the future, we will have physical bodies that are spiritual bodies. At a point, those two things are going to be suffused together. Ephesians 1 verse 5 to 7 shows us the purpose of this grace. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself 
That's what it means when it says, I bow my knees to the Father in which every family on earth has been named. It's talking about how, how we become a part of the family. We, we become sons and daughters of Jesus according to the purpose of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. What is, why does God do all of this? He does it so that we would know that He is good and praise, give Him glory for His grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption. That's a gift through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's another gift. According to what? The riches of His grace. So the purpose of God's grace and kindness towards us is to reveal the goodness and glory of God to the world. It's literally telling us, it's literally convincing you, God's grace towards you, His unmerited favor, His kindness that He shows to you, even though you don't deserve it, convinces us beyond a shadow of a doubt that this God is good, that this God is worthy of my praise. You know, there are moments in my life where I tell you now, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God. And I can look back, and if I'm standing in the front here and I'm struggling to connect in worship, I just have to think about His kindness, and instantly I'm taken right into the throne room. Instantly I'm right there with Jesus. Because I realize He is so kind and has been so good to me. He has made me a part of His family. He's given me redemption and forgiveness. And so grace is a revelation of the glory of God. So ultimately, what does it mean to say, according to the riches of His glory. Well, this is what it means. It means that when God gives the gift, the redemption, the forgiveness, the supply, as an answer to prayer, He's doing it in proportion to, or owing to, and in proportion with, the infinite resources of His glory to meet every true need. Riches flowing from glory. That's just a powerful God that we serve. But here's the beautiful thing. We go to God in our prayers. And we say, God, I need more than anything else. Like that family we prayed for this morning with that little girl that's fighting for her life. God, I need more than anything else. I need right now for this little girl to make it through. And then God, because of the supply that is due to the riches of His glory, He answers that prayer. But in answering that prayer, we get more than the answer of our prayer. We witness His glory. And what we realize is the beauty of the glory of God and the knowledge of His grace is the true treasure that we really needed. Yes, we, need our need, we, we, we have to have our needs met. Yes, we need that supply. Yes, we need our earthly things. But what we really know, need in this life is to know by experience the greatness of God's love. And so when God answers prayers, He answers more than His prayers. He gives us more than the answer. He reveals His glory in the answered prayer. If I can put it this way, God's glory is the source of the river that brings the supply. 
and also the ocean into which the river flows. He brings us the glory. And as He brings it to us, we want to give Him the glory. The beauty of God's glory becomes our greatest treasure. And we need to know the beauty of His glory more than we need any earthly need fulfilled. Because from there, we get the strength to be able to comprehend the height, the breadth, the length and the depth of His love. That's why in Romans eleven thirty six 36, it says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so Paul prays. He says, God, let this glory, let this grace become the foundation of their lives. That they would be rooted and grounded in this love that nothing would shake them. I remember working for a church that had a massive blue gum tree in the corner of the property and they were doing some renovations and wanted to build in that area and needed to remove that tree and they started by cutting it down, but that was the easy part. Even though this tree was maybe 80 meters tall, that was the easy part. They had to bring in a D9 caterpillar to try and uproot the roots of that tree. And eventually they had created a sinkhole the size of a double garage trying to get that tree out of the ground. You see, what, what this is saying is that when you've trusted God for some things and He's revealed His goodness to you, you're gonna be so rooted, you're gonna be so grounded that nothing in this life is going to be able to shake you again. You're gonna know His love, the depths of it, the length of it, the height of it the breath, how it covers everything that you may need. And that is spiritual power. That is more than religion. That is more than just going through the motions. That is more than a prayer before lunch. God, help them know. Help them know. Help them be strengthened according to the riches of His glory so that they may live as ones who fulfill all that God has for them. After saying all of that, Paul says this in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. He says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Hey, when you ask the biggest things you've ever asked for, you haven't even begun to tap into the supply that's available to you according to the power at work where? Where is this power at work? Within us. Him who is able to do more we can, than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the what? The glory. In the church, in amongst His people, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the beauty of, of His glory, what He does in us and what He does through us to reveal and reflect and make known the grace of God in our world. Amen? Hey, we can trust God, God boldly, but always know as much as He will supply your need, and He will, 
He's going to give you more than you thought you needed. He's going to reveal His grace to you. Amen, church. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?